0: Well, many of us are familiar with the classic marshmallow test. You can see these on YouTube. There's lots of them out there, but you know the test. They would take some children, and they would put the marshmallow on a plate right in front of the child, and they would sit and look at that marshmallow, and they would tell the child, you could eat it at any time. But if you wait, I'm going to walk out of the room, and if you wait, and not eat it when you come back you can have two you can have two well we all know the story right most of the kids were impulsive and who doesn't love marshmallows i don't know where these have been but uh (laughs) i mean who doesn't love marshmallows and these kids would dive into them but about a year and a half ago a whole new study was done And what the study did was they took the classic marshmallow test and they brought kids together. And the first thing they did with these kids, they said, let's play some games. And they put them together in a string of games and they're hanging out, they're laughing and they're doing all this stuff together. Then they took the kids and they divided them into two groups. One group, they just took the kids just like in the classic marshmallow test. And they put them in a room and they said, here's a marshmallow. I'm gonna step out of the room. You can eat it if you want, but if you wait till I get back, you can have two. But in the other room, they put two kids together. They did the same thing. They said, here's a marshmallow for each of you. But if you wait till we get back, you could have two marshmallows. Well, the study showed something significant, that when these kids were together, Rebecca uh, Wuhan, who did the study, she said it became really, really clear that when these kids were together, they held each other accountable and they helped them persevere to have twice the marshmallows. Well, then they got concerned was just just a cultural thing because they were doing the study in Germany. They then took it to Kenya and did the same thing and found the same results. But it raises a question for all of us, doesn't it? What do we do to strengthen the resolve of each other? Let me say it a little differently. What do we do to help each other flourish In our spiritual lives. How does that happen? Well, that's what we're going to see this morning. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Romans chapter one? Remember, we're studying the book of Romans together. We're going to dive through for the next several weeks, and then we'll come back in the spring and and go even a little further. Romans chapter one verse 8 the apostle paul writes this first i thank my god through jesus christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world for god is my witness whom i serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing i mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by god's will I may not at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Let's pray together. Father, people come on Sunday morning, they watch online because they want to flourish in their faith, they want their faith to be alive and dynamic. They want to stay the course and persevere. So God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Show us how you intended these things to come together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, as we dive deeper into this book in Romans, right, we have uh, not talked a lot about what was going on here i haven't said much about rome i haven't even said much about the church i didn't even tell you that paul the apostle paul never visited this church when he wrote he's not the church planter and contrary to some church tradition it wasn't even planted by the apostle peter as best as we know as we study and look at the demographics and how things moved and where Peter was, where Paul was in their journeys, that this church was planted by Jews that were in Jerusalem in Pentecost or at the time of Pentecost. And you remember what happened at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, right? Peter's preaching there. There's a lot going on and and the Spirit of God descends. And all these people from all the nations and all the cities that had gathered, the Jews that had come together for the Feast of Pentecost were then moved by the Spirit and trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They then went back to their cities. In this case, they went back to their synagogues in Rome and started pulling together as believers in Jesus Christ. And the church was birthed. It was then growing. And what I did tell you last week was that now Paul is writing about 27, 28 years after these events of what happened in Pentecost. So that's really how the church, as best as we can understand it, came together in the city of Rome. But let me say a little bit about the city of Rome. The city of Rome was about a million people in the first century. It was the center of civilization. It was really the the fount of the Roman Empire. And so, as I Read uh, Stephen Neal on this. Here's what he said. He said, Rome is the fount of the law, the center of civilization, the mecca of poets, orators, and artists, and the home of every kind of idolatrous worship. Now, he's not talking about Chicago. He's talking about Rome. And so that's where this church now was flourishing, and the church, because it was growing at such a rate, was like what was happening in other cities, was they didn't meet like in one nice big building, they met in churches in houses, or house churches, and they were scattered over the city of Rome, and when the letter would come, they would read the letter, and then they would pass it to the next house church, the next house church, and they would all read through this, so that they would grab hold of it. So as we read this passage this morning, that gives you a little feel of what was going on with the churches, a little bit of what's going on with Rome, and we'll give a little more background each week so we can grab hold of it. But here's the first thing that I want to say as we think about this passage we read about. We all need people in our corner. We all need people in our corner. And we can't help but read, as we've read now, the first 13 verses this morning we read, verses 8 to 13, As we read this, we can't help but see that Paul was in their corner. He was in their corner. He was excited, he was energized, he was enthralled by what was happening at the church or in the churches of Rome. Powerful, powerful place. But that just gives us a pause for a moment, right? To ask the question, who is in your corner? Who's in your corner? Do you have someone right now that comes to mind that says, that person has my back. That person is always, always in my corner. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, hey, in sports and stuff like that. I'm talking about spiritually. They're concerned about the deepest part of your life, your soul? If you say your spouse. Do you have your spouse's back? Because that's the other side of the question. Not only who's in your corner, but whose corner are you in? Whose back? Do you have? Who is it that you're watching and you're looking at to make sure that they are doing well? We all need people in our corner. Now, some of you are looking at the verse or the phrase up there, my first point, and you see I put the word all in parentheses. I did that intentionally because sometimes... I want to speak mostly to men, myself included. We can be awfully independent. We can be self-sufficient. In fact, Kathy and I had a little conversation this morning. (laughs) Got a little warm. But it was about this very issue. I tend, and I'm prone, to being independent. And when I read like the first chapter of Romans, I can't help but think I need people in my corner. Of course, I praise God that the number one champion in my corner is my wife, an amazing, amazing woman. Prays for me, coaches me, confronts me, admonishes me. right All the things that I need. But we all need people in our corner. So let's go a little deeper into the verses here, right? We want to, to look at this here. Paul writes in verse 8, he says, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you. Now, I know we can just read these words, but we need to pause just for a moment. Look at what Paul is writing. The first thing that stood out to me as I'm looking at this is he says, I thank my god my god my mighty one i thank this powerful creator the one who made everything right that's what's wrapped up into this word god is that this isn't just god with a small g this is his god do we pray that way do we pray that way and say my god my god my god who can do anything My God who is all-wise. My God who is all-powerful. Paul's praying. And Paul believes something. The fact that he is praying like this. He believes that prayer changes things. He believes that by talking to his God, it'll make a difference. If you ask me to explain this on a human level, I could never do it. But I do know by experience and by the power and truth of God's Word, prayer changes things. You can never pray enough. You can never pray into things enough. God is listening. He's watching. And He loves the communion With you and me he loves hearing our hearts expressed whether it's a heart that's angry towards him or a heart that's tender towards him whether it's a heart that's struggling with what he's doing or it's a heart that's embracing what he's doing he loves talking to his people. Can I just say that? He loves talking to you. He enjoys that. And, and that's what prayer is. It's, it's not just us speaking, but it's God's bringing this back through the truth of his word. And it's powerful in what God is doing. And so what Paul is bringing here is he's saying, I thank my God. But then there's this other little phrase. Kind of a little strange that he put it here. I thank my God through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Now, we do know that Jesus is the mediator. He's the one that gives us access to God. But I don't think that's all that he's saying here. Certainly, he's including that. But when we read all these verses together, these people were so in his heart that what is going on is when he says through jesus christ is there is a bond that is deeper than a flesh relationship and it's the bond of jesus christ i am in christ and christ is in me the roman church christ is in them and i am in christ right there's this bonding that comes through here and paul is just laying this out how deep and how significant this is and this should excite us because the church of jesus christ is growing all around the world and we're part of what the spirit of god is doing and so we can see this connection through jesus christ and then he goes on he says for all of you now let's be clear he is not thanking the Romans the church at Rome who's he thanking it's okay to say it God he thanks his God for what his God is doing in this incredibly pagan city he thanks God that he is on the move Through the Spirit, working in the lives of these people in this church. But then he takes us further. He says, Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Faith is invisible, faith is invisible. I can't see your faith, I can't hold your faith. So what's happening here? I mean, we live in America, we have privatized faith. Keep it to yourself. Let it be just in your heart. Don't talk about it. Don't let it be visible to a culture that is resistant to God, antagonistic to God, or indifferent to God. Paul is talking about something that's very visible. Something that is knowable, that he can say, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He's talking about the Roman Empire. Is there a little exaggeration here? Is there a little hyperbole here? Perhaps. But it doesn't diminish the power of the statement. What he's saying is the church in Rome was so energetic, so explosive, people could see that those people were making a difference in the world. They weren't indifferent to what God was doing and what their role was with God. It's an amazing thing when Paul says this, I thank my God through Jesus Christ because of your faith that is being proclaimed. People are talking about what God is doing in the church in Rome. An amazing bit of information. Now where is this going? Well of course you can't separate it from what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about verse 5, the obedience of faith. The obedience that comes from faith. The obedience, the action, the activity that springs out of a living, dynamic, energetic faith that God birthed in us through Jesus Christ. So remember last week. So one of the things we should do as a church, when you wake up in the morning, I said it's good to have a heart posture. It's good to start out your day and just surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You remember what I said. Because I say it often, the best life possible. I know some people here don't believe this. I know that. But I'm asking the Spirit to work in us. The best life possible in this world, on this side of glory, before Jesus returns or he takes you home, the best life possible today is to have a heart posture of surrender where you say, God, all my time, all my treasures... All my skills, all my talents, all my hopes, all my dreams, I surrender to the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ. It's a nice prayer to pray. You get up from your knees, you get into the shower, and you walk your day, and it makes no difference. See, what happens when you pray that prayer, then you're just saying, okay, Jesus, what's your plan today for me? What's your purpose for me? What action do you want me to do? And what the church at Rome did as they woke up on their morning and they surrendered everything, they got their marching orders from King Jesus who said, here's what I got for you today. Here's where we're going. Here's what's going to happen. It's exciting. It's not exciting to wake up, pray a prayer, and act like it makes no difference into what you're doing. You pull out your phone and you look at your schedule and you say, okay, Jesus, what are we going to do today? Who are we going to talk to? What's going to happen on the spiritual front? What do you want me to be a part of? Who, as we say at Fox Valley Church, do you want me to tell the story of Jesus to? Or who, Jesus, do you want me to show your story with acts of love and kindness So that's where he's going here. And what is this all for? Remember in verse 5, it says the obedience of faith for the sake of Jesus' name. That's what verse 5 is all about. Well, I could go on forever on this, but it goes deeper, doesn't it? He keeps saying, he says here, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Christians love to do this. I'm praying for you. Did you ever say that to somebody? And do you not forget to pray? come on let's fess up that's a christian cliche sometimes the only way i have found personally not saying it's the only way it's the way i have found so i don't find myself a liar is to pray right away so yesterday we got a text from some folks And some things were going on in their life. What do we do? We're praying. Kathy and I stopped right there and we prayed together for what was happening. Just stopped right what we were doing and prayed. Now, nobody knows whether you are honest or a liar. No one knows whether you're telling the truth when you say I'm praying and you don't pray or whether you really pray. But look what the Apostle Paul says. God is my witness. God is my witness. And here he is praying without ceasing. Now... Paul uses some words here that show the intensity of what he's talking about. Some of us would miss this. He says, I serve. Now, we just think of this as a simple word. But for the Apostle Paul, this was really the word for worship. It was the word that you would use for religious duties. It would be the word that a Jew would use for the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice as they went to the temple. So, what he's trying to do by using this word is draw it to the vertical, not the horizontal. So, when he uses the word serve, we could almost get in our minds the word worship, because that's really the word that stands behind this. And then he says, I serve with my spirit this word spirit here is it's tied to the holy spirit that's what moves and energizes my spirit and then he goes on and talks about exactly what we talked about last week the gospel of his son the good news of Jesus Christ, what I call the big story. The whole world is waiting for this story, and you have it, and you have it, and you have it. We all have the big story that God, after the great rebellion in the Garden of Eden, God said, I'm going to raise up somebody. I'm going to raise up somebody. And over time, he unfolds the story that he's going to Send his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is woven all the way back into the story of Genesis and brought forward into the story of the New Testament. That's the good news. And the good news isn't that he just came and lived here and lived a sinless life. That's good news. Not only good news that he died, although that's good news because he died for your sin and my sin. That's good. He not only died for the issue of death, good news but he was raised from the dead that's good news isn't it showing that he conquered sin that he could remove guilt he could take away shame he conquered death that's good news but that's not all the good news i hope you're not done there he then after being raised from the dead he ascended to the right hand of god he took his position of authority and he says don't you forget that i rule over everything Isn't that what he said when he left the earth? Isn't that what he told his disciples in Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me. That's what ascension means. It means that he has all authority over this whole world. And then he says, now you go make disciples. That's cool. That's good news. It means you got purpose. It means you got significance. It means you have a way to transcend the things of this world because you have an eternal message. All that's good news, but it's not enough, is it? You know why it's not enough? Because the story's not over. (laughs) Where is he taking you? He's taking you to be with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Now that's good news. Now that's good news. Not only that he saves you and delivers you and frees you from all your sin, all your nonsense, or like I like to say, all your stuff, but He wants to bring you to be with Him forever in a new earth and a new home. I mean, like, that is good news. This world doesn't have anything like that. Nobody's talking about the things that Jesus talked about. So that's where Paul is going with this when he says this. When he says this, uh, in my spirit or with my spirit, the gospel of His Son. And that's who he's talking to. And then he says, always in my prayers always in my prayers, asking that somehow God will allow us to get together because He had never been there. What I find is that the Holy Spirit, let me get rid of those, the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts to take action for the cause of the Gospel. That's what He's talking about when He says, in my Spirit is the Spirit of God dwells within us and He stirs our hearts For the cause of the gospel. Well, hey, if this is all I had to say, that would be enough. But Paul said a little bit more. Here's the second thing I want to bring us into. We all need people to help us. Guys, could you just say that out loud with me? (laughs) We all need help or people to help us. Let me say it again. I'm sorry. We all need people to help us. We all need that. Paul says, look what he says. He says that he longs to see you. We need people. Isn't that what the marshmallow test is all about? Isn't that what the marshmallow test these kids are teaching us? That we are strengthened, we're encouraged, we stay the course when we have someone with us. Now I want to tread on some dicey ground. We're living in a culture where people are becoming more and more comfortable watching only online. I do not want anyone to be unsafe. I know there are health issues and there's dynamics that are taking place. But it's time. We need each other. And there's times for us to reach out to our friends and have some conversations. Conversations, where are you? So how do we help and strengthen each other in our spiritual lives? Well, Paul says, he goes on, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith he wanted to give them a gift to strengthen them right the spiritual gift is is not something that god can impart god imparts spiritual gifts right over and over so what paul is talking about here is something spiritual something deep something that would stir them so that they could stay faithful to jesus christ and that's where he's going he wants people to be together so As we look at all this, I need to bring us back to our verse that we're working on and memorizing. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Just got to pause there. (laughs) I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The good news. That big story that I'm talking about, I'm not ashamed of it. That's why I don't mind telling the story of Jesus. It's a powerfully good story. It's, not, it's, it's also why I don't mind showing the story of Jesus and all these other things. But i got to bring you into something on a little more personal level. God has been stirring my heart. I brought it to the elders. And the elders and us Myself, we've been praying for this for weeks and months, that God is stirring us to launch the largest, most ambitious plan that Fox Valley Church has ever undertaken for the cause of the Gospel. Because we are not ashamed of the story of Jesus Christ. It's going to take every one of us to carry out what God's laying on the hearts of the leaders of Fox Valley Church. Some of us might have already started hearing stories. Some of us might have already talked to people because it's starting to leak out and I just want to get it out there. Is that for the cause of Jesus Christ, He's calling us to do something that we've never accomplished before and it's going to take all of us. And it's going to start unfolding this fall and it's going to carry on Actually, for years to come, and it's going to shape the destiny of Fox Valley Church. I need you to start praying into this as we start giving you more and more details of what God is doing. It is so, so exciting. God has made some amazing promises. He's a promise maker and He's a promise keeper. And God has said, if you get behind the gospel, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel you will not be disappointed. You will not. You will be disappointed in things in this world. People will disappoint you, but God will never disappoint you. He is doing amazing things, and He wants you and me to be a part of it. And over the next month, I'm going to reveal more and more of what God is laying on our hearts so that we, as the people of God, would make the largest splash, bringing the greatest light through the gospel of Jesus Christ to this community. And it's going to take all of us. Let's pray. Father, there's so much we can say. There's so much we can say about the story of Jesus Christ. God, you are stirring here. It's exciting to be a part of people. It energizes me when I see the excitement in this church. People that love what you're doing. People that are excited about what you're doing. People that are behind what you're doing. So God... As we close this morning, we recognize you have made some promises to us that there is a crown of righteousness laid up for those that pursue Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, he he talked about if, if you honor me, the Father will honor you. God, we believe these kind of words because you are doing amazing things. And when Paul wrote this letter, God, it stirs our hearts. We want to be a part of your great work. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen.